a month or so back, the Lord, I got back into the scripture, just, you know, reading through it again. And I've always heard it taught, you know, from a, more or less an offering. But God just gave me some insight on 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. So I'd like for you to go there uh, if you guys want to put it up. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And then I just have about three or four comments that the Lord showed me regarding this passage of Scripture. And I really believe that it's a word for you here uh, this weekend as you go forward in this new year uh, for all that God has in store for Heritage Church here in Vancouver, Washington. I, I really believe the best is yet to come. And you have uh, no idea what this year is going to hold. But you're going to come down to the end of the year and you're going to look back and you're going to go, wow. Wow. I believe that. So Second Kings chapter 4 out of the Amplified, verse 8. Let's start there. I'm going to read it all the way through because it's a wonderful passage. And then I'm going to come back and just make a few comments on it. Second uh, Kings 4, verse 8 says, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a rich and influential woman lived, who insisted on his eating a meal. And afterward, when he passed by, he stopped there for a meal. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God who passes by continually. Let us make a small chamber on the housetop and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And then whenever he comes to us, he can go up the outside stairs and rest there. One day he came and turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to Gehazi, say now to her, you've been most painstakingly and reverently concerned for us. What is to be done for you? Would you like to be spoken for to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people, for they are sufficient. Now, I want you just, the Lord just dropped something in me right now. If you have a pencil or you have a smartphone, we're going to come back to this thought. I've taught this, but this is, this is something the Lord's showing me right now. If you have a way to underline the question that, uh, that uh, Elisha asked Gehazi, would you ask her, you know, what is to be done? Would you like to be spoken for to the king? Underline that. Would you like to be spoken for to the king? I think in the, in the uh, King James, wouldst thou be spoken for to the king? In other words, would you like for us to represent you before the king? So that was an interesting option. We're going to come back to that. Somebody remind me, we're going to come back to that, all right? Now, that's one of the things he said. Uh, would you like to be spoken for? Uh, would you? And she said, I dwell among my own people, for they're sufficient. Verse 14, later Elisha said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, she has no child and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And Gehazi called her and she stood in the doorway. And Elisha said, at this season, when the time comes around, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, you man of God, do not lie to your handmaid. But the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the following year, as Elisha had said to her. And when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father with the reapers. But he said to his father, my head, my head. And the man said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he was brought to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called to the husband and said, send me one of the servants, one of the donkeys, that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why go to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it'll be all right. 
And then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Ride fast, do not slacken your pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run to meet her and say, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to thrust her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is bitter and vexed within her, and the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. And then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go lay my staff on the face of the child. And if you meet any man, do not salute him. If he salutes you, do not answer him. The mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I'll not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the child's face, but the boy neither spoke nor heard. So he went back to meet Elisha and said to him, the child's not awakened. When Elisha arrived in the house, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. So he went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself on him and embraced him, the child's flesh became warm. And then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up again and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And then Elisha called Gehazi. And said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came, he said, take up your son. She came and fell at his feet. And bowing herself to the ground, she took her son and went out. Such a powerful account of a woman who made room. We've been talking about that all day. Who made room. You see, uh, Elisha represented the closest thing she would come to. To the presence of God. In the Old Testament Bible times, they were not allowed anywhere near. They stood on the outside and worshiped God from afar. And so Elisha, in her eyes, represented the presence of God. And she was not casual about that. She said, you know, I'm, I want to build a room for him. She was, the Bible says she was influential. She, she, had, she must have been a woman of influence. She must have been a woman of means. But she recognized. The first thing the Lord showed me in this passage is we must recognize, honor, and make room for the presence of God. You know, one of the things that's been lost in our nation, Joe and I can say this because we travel to many, many nations every year. And there is something that has been lost in America. It's this thing called honor. We have lost that ability to honor, whether it is uh, people uh, in political office, people uh, with with our first responders, uh, whether it's your parents, whether it's teachers in school. We have lost that sense of honor, of honoring the older people are honoring. I mean, we've just lost that. And now it seems that, you know, we're all on the same level. That's what the world, everybody's on this. We're all on the same level. I'm telling you, we're not all on the same level. He is God and we are not. 
and he is worthy to be honored. He is worthy to be adored. We cannot, you know, people by their demeanor, they bring, they want to bring God down to their level. God is not on our level. We are not buddies. Now, we can be co-laborers with him. We can be sons and daughters of him, but he is God and we are not. And we must always maintain that sense of honor when we honor his presence. He is worthy of being honored. Now, here's the thing about honor, and especially, uh, uh, I mean, in this passage, yes, but it's a reciprocal thing that happens. We see it played out in this Second Kings chapter 4 because she honored the man of God. She said, I'm going to build him. She knew that he represented God in her life. She said, I'm going to build a room in my house. When he comes by, he, he can stop there. But on the other hand of that, in the fact that she honored him, he turned around because he was in her house and he honored her. He honored her. So that's the thing about honor. See, people, you know, people, people sometimes people don't, they don't want to honor because, you know, it, it's, it's a pride thing. But here's the thing. When you honor, when you honor the Lord, he turn around and honor you. He'll bring you honor. He, he will reward you. So here he was in, in the house of this woman, and now he has a heart because of the honor of this woman. He has a heart now to be a blessing back to her. And we see here, he, he says to Gehazi, he said, you know, what's to be done for her? And she said, no, look, I didn't have, there were no strings attached to this. There was nothing that I didn't need anything. I'm a man, I'm a woman of means. I, I, I have influence. There was, I just recognized God's presence and I want to welcome that presence in my home. That's all it was. She said, I don't have any. And again, again, the old prophet comes back and he says, no, no, what's to be done for her? He asks the servant a second time. Listen, when you honor God, whether it's with your worship, whether it's with your tithes, whether it's with your giving, your over above giving, whenever you honor God, there's a reciprocal effect that happens. We don't do it because we want something. We do it because we honor. But he turns around and puts right back to us and says, let me honor you. That's what honor is about and she honored him and he turned right around he said no 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 let I want to honor you now he asked Gehazi finally Gehazi says look uh, her husband's old she has no child she's wanted a child now this is an interesting thing that happens here because Elisha speaks prophetically about the birth of a son and it's really more than the woman can take in she said no Listen, don't tease me. You know, the Lord showed me what maybe possibly what could have happened in this place was the fact that this was a dream this woman had. This was a desire. This was a wish of a young woman many years ago. But because it had never happened, it was really like the dream had died. It was like she just put it on the back burner and said, that's fine. It's all good. I'm not going to have a son. It's okay. And she goes on with her life. Now the old prophet comes in. He says, you know, it's almost like that. It was like she had mourned that and finally put away, dealt with that, and put it back. And now here the prophet says, you're going to have a son. And she said, don't tease me. Don't tease me. But the Bible says here that at the season when the time comes around, you'll embrace a son, verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son at that season, the following year as Elijah had told her. So here was, here was a reward. 
the, the thing that she had dreamed for, the thing that she had, had, had desired that possibly was a secret dream or a secret desire that no one knew about. But the old servant, interesting, that Gehazi knew that, that she didn't have a son and her husband was old. So somebody knew. And so all of a sudden now she's, not all of a sudden, nine months later, nine months later she, she has a child. Yeah, yeah, it's a mystery. And um, so she has a child. So interesting, uh, in that verse 18 through about 21, uh, there's a bit of time that passes. There's some time. If you look at that, when the child had grown. Okay, so, so she bore a child, verse 17, verse 18, when the child had grown. Now, we know in Jewish culture that a full-grown man, young man, is age about 13. About 13 is what they consider when their sons have grown. They have a big bar mitzvah, have a big celebration for him. We were in Jerusalem last June, and uh, we were at the Western Wall, and there were, I don't even know how many... (laughs) for eight or ten bar mitzvahs going on right down at the wall. And I mean, it was a party. It was rocking down at the Western Wall. People were dancing, and uh, I mean, it, it was really kind of beautiful to watch. But, but here it says, when the child had grown. So we're thinking somewhere he could have been possibly, uh, just go with me here, somewhere around 13, 14 years old. Uh, they say that in, the cult, in Jewish culture that the mother is the primary caregiver from birth till that 13 mark. And then at 13, he becomes the father's responsibility. The father teaches him about life and about working and that sort of thing. So he had just been handed off, if you will. He had been sent out into the field with the father. And then we see here something happens. We don't exactly know what happens. Uh, he, he said to his father, my head, my head. The man said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he was brought to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and died. Now, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, in my little pea brain estimation here, that seems so unfair. Just in the natural realm. You know, a lot of people, they, they get mad at God for things that happen. Listen, if... if you know, if that were me, I probably have, I'd probably have a little bit of attitude. Here was the son. I didn't ask for the prophet prophesied. I get the son, and he's here. I get 13 years with him. I love him. I know him. I think of Spencer, and I think of Max. And, I mean, you know, you, uh, enough to love him and know him. And now something happens to him, and the boy dies. But I want you to see the woman's response. Verse 21. And she went up and prepared a funeral. Uh, no, oh wait, hang on. Uh, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Second thing that happens when you make room. You honor him, he honors you. Second thing, when you make room for him, your faith is activated. When you make room for his presence, your faith is activated. I can tell you by what comes out of your mouth, whether you're making room for the presence of God or not, by your speech. 
If I hear your negativity and your crossness, and hey, I'm preaching to myself. I I have walked through this. I've been a whiner. I was the daughter of a whiner, and I know what it is to be a whiner. And I don't like it. And I, but I was a whiner, and I I didn't like it in my mama, and I didn't like it in myself. And so uh, the Lord put me with somebody who doesn't put up with a lot of whining. I was going to go on and tell you. I know that's not politically correct. I know that's not politically correct. I know, I know. I'm, I'm going off PC for a moment. But he, he just doesn't have a lot of patience for whining. And so, but God knew that I needed to be there because I needed to close my mouth to the crying and the incessant whining. So I see this woman and her response to the fact that the presence of God's in her house. Because she makes a whole totally different response than what maybe some of us would have. She grabs the boy up and does the first thing that all of us would do. Not really, but some of us might. She took him up to the bed of the man of God and she goes looking for the man of God. Her faith was activated. Her faith was activated. That's why this year, In your home, in your business, in your life, you need to make room for his presence because that's where your faith is activated. And you're going to, where God's got for you going this year, you need that faith activated. Otherwise, it's going to blow your mind when God says, I want you to do this and do this and do this. You're going to say, God, there's no way. But if your faith is activated, you can say, okay, 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 let's go. Let's go. Amen? So her faith was activated. Her faith was activated. She had made room for the presence. And then her faith was activated. She, in verse 22 through 25, you see this here. She called her husband and said, send me one of the servants. I'm going to go to the man of God and I'll be back. And he's, you know, I mean, uh, poor guy. I mean, I don't want to cast light, you know, negative. But I don't think this, I I don't know. Now, I'll just pass right over that. I don't think he was had a full deck here. Because he said, why go? Now, I don't even know if he knew the boy was dead. I guess, I don't know. You think he did? You think he did? Okay. I, I'm going to. But I, I'm a, why go? In other words, what use is it to pursue the presence? What use is it? Yeah, what, what, why go? And she said, you know what? It's going to be all right. She saddled the donkey and said to the servants, ride fast. And she set out, verse 25, she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when he saw her afar off, he recognized her. And he says to Gehazi, run to meet her and say, is it well with you? Well with your husband? Well with the child? And she answered, it is well. That's a woman with activated faith. That's a woman with activated faith. When we make room for his presence, our faith is activated. Listen, what do you say when tragedy or calamity comes to your house? What's out of your mouth? That's one of the things that I've had to work on through the years as a young wife and a young minister is watching what comes out of my mouth. And I I speak this and I teach this because it's been an ongoing process for me. It's been an ongoing process and I am much better. I'm not all the way there, but I'm much better than I used to be about watching what comes out of my mouth and speaking not what I see, but what I know he said 
about a situation. That's what I have working in me now. It's, I need to speak what I know, not what I see, but by the Holy Ghost what I know. Very, very powerful. Her son had died, but her response was, it is well. It's, a, it's amazing if you think about it. One more note here. Verse 27, when she comes to the mountain to the man of God, the Bible says she clung to his feet. I have a word for someone here tonight. Whatever you do, don't let go of his presence. Don't let go of his presence. Some of you this year, you're going to have to cling to his presence. You're going to have to hold on. That's why you've got to make room for him because sometimes he's all you've got to hold on to. I tell you, when the adversity, the winds of adversity and the storms of life come, you gonna. there's one thing, it's him, his presence. Hold on, cling. I can see that woman. It's like she just, uh, he, the old prophet's there and she's just gathered around, she's clung. And the, the servant tries to get her away. And the old prophet says, no, leave her alone. Something's wrong and I don't exactly, God hadn't showed me what it is. But he let her hold on to him. I'm saying to you this year, some of you, even this year, you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have to cling to his presence. I don't care what the situation looks like. I don't care what the bills say. I don't, I, I, you're just going to trust me. If you make room for his presence, honor him. He'll honor you. Your faith is activated. And you just hang on for dear life to his presence. Here's the problem. A lot of people, when calamity and adversity come, they run from the presence. They either try to go fix it themselves or they get mad at God and they just say, well, see, that didn't work, and they run away. But we find that she ran after the presence. Some of you this year are going to have to go after his presence and cling to his presence no matter what. He's going to see you through, but you're going to have to hang on to him. Hang on to him. So that picture there with her clinging to his presence, so powerful. Okay, number three, Uh, something else the Lord showed me in this passage. Remember the staff? Remember when uh, the, the, uh, the old prophet gave uh, Gehazi the staff? And he says, go yonder and put it on the boy? The Lord showed me. <clears throat> In most cases, there is no substitute for his presence. Nothing else is going to do but his presence. And he sent the staff. Now, the staff represented his presence, but it wasn't his presence. This was something that needed the presence of God, not a representative, not a substitute. A lot of times people are looking for the substitute. They're going to lean on the substitute. It's not going to happen, y'all. It's not going to, there's no substitute for his presence. Uh, I mean, we know that part of the story there. He, he, the mother of the child, the Lord says, the Lord lives as your soul lives. I'll not leave you. So Elisha rose and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound and there was no response. So he ran back to Elisha and told him the boy has not wakened. So there are going to be times when it's going to maybe seem easy or a quick fix for a substitute. But there's no substitute for his presence. There's no substitute for his presence. No substitute for his presence. All right, that's number three. Number four. We see here uh, when Elisha now, Elisha says, okay, the, the staff didn't work. Let me, let me work my way on back to the house. He heads to the house. The Bible says he, he came in the house, the child still dead. 
still lying on his bed. And he goes in, shuts the door on the tomb, and prays to the Lord. Okay, number four, the presence of God, because it activates our faith, prayer becomes our confession. Prayer becomes our confession. If you, Like I said earlier, if you want to know if your faith is acted, activated, what is your confession? And prayer. I, 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 this is one thing I want to say for those of you that have been married or that your future, you know, you're wanting to be married. I'm going to say something to you. I have this wonderful man that God has given me that we have lived an amazing life together. But on occasion, uh, Joan Becky, don't see eye to eye. Can you believe that? I shock. Shocking. Shocking. But we don't see eye to eye. And, you know, if he would just acquiesce and go my way, right? It would be, it would totally fix it. Totally fix it. But sometimes he won't, you know. And I know that he thinks that if I could see it his way, you know, if, if I could just see it his way and, and, and give in. And, you know, most of the time I do. <laughs> but there are times that I put my foot down and I say, man, I don't really think we ought to do that. And uh, I don't know if he told you the story last time, but that uh, we lived in Dallas. When we lived in Dallas, we came from Florida back to Dallas. We were there a couple of years, and the, the Lord said, I'm going to show you your home. And I, we were kind of thinking it was Dallas, but <laughs> then all, all of a sudden we're driving down to Austin one week going home for Christmas. And I'm telling you, the, the presence of God fell on us, and, and, and the Lord spoke to my husband and said, this is your home. But anyway, before that, we were in Dallas, and we had a beautiful home. The Lord blesses us with a wonderful home. And he has a friend that's a pool builder. And so he comes to me. He's all excited one day. We hadn't been in the house maybe, I don't know, six, eight months, something like that. And uh, he says to me, hey, he said, uh, I've been talking. What's that guy's name? Doug. He said, I've been talking to Doug. And he said, um, he's going to put a pool in for us. I thought wait a minute, you know, where did that come from? Because the Lord said, you know, I'm going to show you your home. So I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really feeling that this is our home, but he wants to go in. But anyway, we went back and forth, and I, w- I wasn't feeling it, and he just really, he enjoys it. And, it. and I get it. I mean, it's therapeutic, and when you live like we live, sometimes just you need to decompress. You know, I, and so there was part of me that understood, but the, there was part of me that was going, I really don't see how this is going to, because what if we're not, you know, all that, I went all through all that stuff, but he was bound and determined he was going to have a pool. So we put that pull in. And, I've du- I mean, Doug is a friend of his, and he's going to do a really, but, you know, I mean, it's still a good chunk of change to pull in in a pool, you know, down where we live. So anyway, he comes out. He puts this beautiful pool in, gorgeous. And, I mean, with all the feet, water features. I mean, it's amazing. Looks like, you know, hotel. I mean, it's gorgeous. But it set us back some serious coinage. And when we sold that house, did we get that pool back? No. And, you know, he, he said, I should have listened to you. We should, you know. But, I, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, that's just the way life is. But I'm going to tell you something. We've not, we're not always on the same page. But this is what, one thing that God has showed us is when we cannot agree on a particular situation, this is what we do. He has his way, I have my way, 
but there's one prayer that we can pray where we're speaking the same thing. And it is this. We begin to pray in the spirit. And for some reason, when we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, I have my way, he has his way, but the Holy Ghost has a way. And it becomes to bringing us to one. And we begin to pray. And before you know it, we just both look at each other and say, no, it didn't really matter anyway. You know, let's just, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll go with it. And we find out, you know, can I say this to you? There is something when you find that place of agreement by praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know if that's what happened here. I don't know if this old prophet prayed in the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you one thing. For us New Testament believers where the Holy Ghost has been poured out upon all flesh, we have the privilege and we have the right to engage in the power and the presence of God through tongues. And when we pray that prayer, all heaven moves and we come into alignment and we see God do great and wonderful things because we come together in agreement. That's a word for someone here tonight. If you are having a hard time finding the place of agreement in your home, just get together and lay your differences aside and hold hands and pray in the Spirit. It is a powerful weapon that many people don't know. Listen, this old prophet went upstairs and faith. And prayer was his confession. The Bible says he went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed. That was number four. The presence of God activates our faith and faith and prayer becomes our confession. Number five, why do we need his presence? Because his presence is the place of the miraculous. His presence is the place of the miraculous. And so we find here, you know that story. You know what happened. He went up and laid his hands on the child, put it mouth to mouth, his eyes. And, and you know the story. Uh, he turned, he returned, walked in the house back and forth. The boy was warm. Then he goes back, lays on him again. The boy sneezes and opens his eyes. And he says, call the Shunammite and calls her. And when she comes, he says, pick up your son. She comes and falls at his feet, bowing. And she picks up her son. And she leaves. So something very powerful, the miraculous. That's why one of the reasons why you need to make room for his presence in your life this year. If you're in need of a miracle, then you need to make room for his presence in your life. You need to make room. If you're in need of a miracle, can I just see about the show of hands, you have some miracle areas in your life that you want to see God do something spectacular and miraculous this year, then I'm going to encourage you that when you make room for his presence, that's the place of the miraculous. That's where you're going to see. Don't, don't be negative and whiny and cry and sit home and don't go to church and then you want a miracle. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, it's people that they, you know, they come and they want a miracle, but, you know, they, they hadn't darkened the door, you know, and then they just come in screaming and crying and they need a miracle. Let me tell you, making room for his presence, is, that's the birthplace of the miracle. When you make room for him, when you make room for him.
So we see that so powerfully. I want to tell you just a quick story, and then I'm going to give you the rest of the story. Am I going too long, Pastor? Okay, okay. I'm just going to tell you a quick testimony, and then I'm going to give you the end of this. Uh, Joe and I have an album. I don't know if it's here. Is it? We're out. Okay, it's called God is Great. And if you don't have that album, you can go on our website. Yeah, it's WMI Global. You can, you can go to the website, and you can download the album. It is, a, it is one of those albums that I would say, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of albums we've sold, but it's a timeless album. And there's some hymns on it. There's some songs that we've written. And then there's a prophetic song in there called God is Great, which is about a 14-minute song that was written in the middle of a meeting. And it's, it's an amazing, it's amazing. So uh, we were in uh, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. The lady that was the worship pastor was a single lady. She had two sons. And uh, she had a young boy who had just started college at the University of North Carolina. And uh, one weekend he had come home for uh, just home and had headed back to school. He got into a car accident, uh, like a head-on car collision on his way back to college on the Sunday afternoon. And uh, he got, went over in a passing lane to pass on a little two-lane highway, didn't see an oncoming truck. And, I mean, they plowed. And this young boy went into the hospital, He uh, and they care-flighted him. They just put him on life support and said, you know, he's... We, we don't think he's going to make it. And they said to the mom, you really probably need to really think about pulling the plug because there's, you know, there's, there's no hope for him. We had been in this woman's church, and we had been in revival, and she had gotten a copy of the God is Great album. And this is her testimony. She said to us, my son John had been in the hospital about three or four months, and she said, I did not have a release to do anything other than just stand and believe for a miracle for my son. That's all. I, 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 she said, I would get in there. The doctors would give me all the negative stuff. And she said, it would just infuriate me. And she said, I just decided I needed to change the atmosphere in his room. So she said, I went and bought just a little cheap jam box, and I put it, a little CD player, and I put it in his room. And she said, I put the God is Great CD on, and I put it on repeat play, and I said to the people who clean and who look after him, don't, whatever you do, don't let this CD, because I want, she said, somehow I think he can hear us. And I want him to hear faith, and I want him to hear worship, and I don't want him to hear all the negativity that's going on around the hospital. And so she put that little jam box in his room, and she played God is Great morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night. Went on for a couple of weeks, and she said one weekend after church, I drove up to, um, to the hospital where he was. And she said, they, uh, they knew me by now. She said, they made me a little room in the hospital. And she said, uh, I got in kind of late. I walked in John's bedroom. And she said, I just, I noticed it was quiet in there. And she said, I looked down. The CD player wasn't playing. She said, I walked over. I turned the CD on. There was Joe singing, God is great. She said, I turned around to walk out of the room. And she said, when I did, she heard, said, I heard like what was the rustling of sheets. And she said, I had my hand on the door. I turned back around and she said, whether it was a vision, whether it was a dream, whether it was actual, she said, I don't know. But she said, I saw like the translucent gold figure of a man or a being laying over my son, much like this, mouth to mouth, nose to nose, hand to hand, just hovering over my son. And she said, 
I sat, I stood there at the door and I watched it. And then she said, it was almost like he disappeared into my boy. And she said I, something, it was like in my head, I was like, okay, this is good. And she said, I walked down to my room, I went to bed. And she said, two hours later, the staff came and they were knocking on my door. Miss Judy, Miss Judy, wake up. I mean, wake up, wake up. John's awake. He's asking for you. He's asking for you. Y'all, that woman, testimony, the, boy, the young man made a full recovery. He went on to college. He finished. He's married and living back in North Carolina serving with his mom. And I'm telling you what, it's a miracle. That's, you see, his presence, that's the birthplace of the miraculous. If you're in need of a miracle, you've got to make room for him. Whatever you're doing, however you see, you know, you don't have to build a prophet. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating everybody to go home and build a prophet's room on your house. I am advocating that you take out some of the junk of the world and the TV and the social media and make a place of sanctuary and peace and put some worship on and find some time every day to make room for his presence. That's what I'm talking about. Making room for his presence. Well, uh, Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story. This is it. You ready? I'm going to flip over. Because you think that's the end? I thought that was the end till I started studying. Some amazing things happen in chapters 5, 6, and 7. I'm not going to go there. But I want to show you what happens in chapter 8. Remember when, uh, going back to that phrase, would you like to be spoken for to the king? Okay, pick it up in chapter 8. You have your Bible? chapter 8 only the first six verses and I'm going to turn it over to somebody now Elisha had said to the Shunammite woman whose son had restored to life oh I should probably tell you 5 6 and 7 talks about the famine that comes on 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 the land there's a famine Elisha prepares the Shunammite woman why because he is Made, she's made room for him, all right? Prepare and go, you and your household, and stay temporarily wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and moreover, it will come on the land and continue for seven years. So the woman set out and did everything in accordance with the word of the man of God. Listen, if the man of God's going to raise your son from the dead, if the man of God says there's a famine, don't you think she's probably going to have a listen for the man of God? Listen, let me tell you, one, one, here's another thing. For those of you who wonder about making room for his presence, really, let me tell you what happens right there. She had an inside track. She had, an in, she had an inside scoop. She had the, the presence of God had dwelled in her house, and he said, you need to probably get out of here because there's going to be a famine. Those of you in business, if you need an inside track, you need to make room for the, the presence of God. If you need some inside, well, I think we might call it this day and time, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. But she, this woman had the inside track. She had the inside scoop. The, 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 old, the old prophet said, you need to get out of here. And she said, I'm going to do everything he said do. And she did. She and her household went and stayed temporarily as foreigners in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went to appeal to the king 
This is good and good. I hope you're following this. She went to appeal to the king of Israel for her house and for her land. Now, he didn't have to represent her, but watch what happens. Now, the king happened to be talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things Elisha has done. And just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, Behold, the woman whose son had been restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My Lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Verse 6, the king asked the woman. She told him everything. So the king appointed for her a certain high official saying, Raise, restore everything that was hers, including the produce of the field, since this day that she left the land unto now the Lord told me his presence my presence makes the impossible possible it brings the dead to life and restores all that was lost Drop he makes the impossible possible he makes the impossible possible he restores all that was lost and brings the dead to life If that ain't a humdinger, I don't know. If you ask me this year, why do I need the presence? Right there. If you need restoration, if you need something brought back to life, if you need to restore the years, the canker worm, if if you need that, you need the presence of God. Make room for him this year. I promise you it will be a great year for you. Done.